The contents of this episode have the discussions of suicide and brainwashing due to the cultist attributes. Listener's discretion is advised for this episode. All content material rights were gained throughout. Jay's exclusive! All throughout our walks of life, people, no matter who they are, have the continuous struggle of our fragile humanity to succumb to constant anxiety and depression and the never-ending relentlessness that is self-destructive voices in the back of our heads telling us to panic and lose all control. Obviously, it happens both in public and in our private life, yet the question remains as to the connections between words, religion, leadership, and the self-deprivation processes of our fragile humanity. We will be diving into the study of speech and how speech was one of the only factors leading people to completely abandon hope and reality itself. Big thanks to the credible professors of Raymond T. Pathion, Richard Watson Todd, and Sub Thog for this episode material. Also, big thanks to official Reddits and stories of Reddits for the content material later towards the end and the Reddit discussions portion of the show today. I'm Jonathan D. This is Jay's Exclusive Podcast. First of all, before we get into everything today, do you have a podcast idea or study that you could discuss for the next 100 years without even taking a break, but don't know where to start? Look no further than the podcasting platform through Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm is clearly linked to a Spotify, meaning that all you have to do is have a microphone, a computer, your recording box if you use one, and then you will have endless ability to post content according to the standards of a thriving and safe community. Start today for free and directly link your show with Spotify, and you can start a subscription application to start earning your podcast through the commitment of your fans. Again, it is free to join and start today on Anchor.fm and find my show and others like it on Anchor.fm and the Spotify app. Alright, so there's a decent amount of history that we need to cover as we dive into characteristics that control people in the cults of the 50s and beyond. First, big thank you again to Richard, Raymond, and Subtu for giving me the ability to share their work with the world on my show. Thank you for all your dedication and all of your studies. Beginning, there's two major cults that most people recall when the discussion of language comes to mind, and it's a discussion, obviously, of how charisma and this sort of end-of-the-world self-destructive behavior of cults in the early 50s, all the way up to the mid-90s and early 2000s, and those are the cults of Heaven's Gate and Jonestown, which the second one most formally goes by the title uh, or the first one goes by the title of People's Temple. Now, generally, throughout history, a number of cults have been able to fool a decent amount of people into joining due to the fact that just as the Bible itself references, the cults mask themselves as if they were actually biblically accurate, and in so doing, shame people when they attempt to look back on actual scripture in a complete correct biblical context. I think it is in fact very important, first off, to particularly be careful with the name temple when assigning it to a church or a religious group to begin with due to the fact that there are so many temples out there and they normally have nothing to do with the holiness of correct biblical perspectives. There are normally masked cults that are actually related to the real occult or in their cult-like roots confuse people to cause 
them to not be able to discern the Bible very clearly, if at all, which of course is what both of them do to begin with. Now a bit of backstory on the cults we'll be covering today. The People's Temple originally began in Indianapolis, Indiana, and as it's reported by the researchers mentioned before, the group stayed a sect until the mid-1970s, and of course the 1970s were such an insane time for cult development, considering the culture and the politics going on, combined with the social escalation of drug use throughout the states. The 1970s also gave way to some of the worst cults in history of the United States, with the Branch Divinians, the Sullivanians, and the Children of God being just three of them. Later on, we'll go through these cults as well in future episodes, but some of those cults, of course, have some extreme details to them as well, so listener discretion is advised as well for those. Now, continuing with Jim Jones and the People's Temple, it's important to realize that one of the main characteristics that people have obtained in order to run a cult and have followers in the group requires a mass amount of leadership and charisma. This, of course, is the ability that Jones and others like him acquired. It can be noted that today it's even probably more likely for someone in our current world to be prone to joining a cult due to the fact of people being led to think a certain way, respond a certain way, or follow a certain person due to the social media and reoccurring relapses of depression social media can directly cause. You could of course tell me that I sound like a boomer saying that, but the honest truth is that with social media, it doesn't take much more than a trend for people to adore, be envious, or follow someone in our culture in our current circumstances. The overarching second aspect needed for a cult following is either a resistance to the government or a certain view of the government that implies future or present paranoia, or a suspicion that the government will ultimately fall apart, persecute, or enslave the followers of the group. This, in fact, is what took place in the situation of the People's Temple. Jones, fearful that most of the people might listen to the government's suspicions that the People's Temple was going too far in his leadership, he ended up convincing everyone in the cult to poison themselves with cyanide. Of course, ending with the eventual suicidal death of the cult creator himself, and even more dismaying, the children's lives were also taken at the hands of the confused and deprived people that were following a leader that should not be trusted at a single syllable of his words. In the case of Heaven's Gate, run by equally disturbed Marshall Applewhite, this cult formed in San Diego, California, under Applewhite's leadership as he crafted his cult with a mixture of sci-fi alienisms and a small amount of doomsday suicidality with an even smaller amount of biblical representation and hidden religious context on the side. Marshall claimed that the whole world would be recycled, and as a result, all followers must poison themselves to death to receive their new bodies. This, of course, ended up becoming like a sort of reverse reincarnation ideology or uh, object of, you know, the whole object of take our bodies to the new earth after death ideology, which is strikingly different, but still a strange ripoff of Christian Catholicism and Hinduism with a bit of added absurdities. Now, one detail should first stand out. The majority of cults, and primarily suicidality-related cults, were formed on the primary basis of disillusionment and secondly on the near absence of biblical standards. 
What I mean by this is that followers hardly even read the actual Bible in these cults, but end up hearing a defamed and twisted version of small sections of scripture in such a minor way that only one point is discussed, which often becomes the point of destruction and the need to lose all hope in humanity and reality in order to achieve an escape from reality itself. Now, of course, another interesting fact in the process of applying an unidentifying flying object stance, and it's because in the formulations of 70s cults like this one, the reason lies in the fact that the direct concept of UFOs themselves already have such a broad disillusionment to them due to the fact that people in general know little to nothing about them besides conspiracy and the imagination of the mind. This highlights and intensifies the subject and leaves the mind open to curiosity before allowing extended hopelessness to sink in when that curiosity is not answered with reasonable conclusions. Now, by the study conducted by the work we're discussing today, it was found that these five concepts are always brought up in the assembly of the followers to create as much disillusionment as possible. The first has to do with the communication that the beliefs of the cult are the only true beliefs in existence, and that the cult will care for the followers. This reinforces people to not leave the cult. Words and structure in separating followers as people different from society that follow their own society off to themselves. This this structures people in a group and completely disassociates them from the rest of reality. Third is using words that are specific to mental health or psychological activities and development, which thereby cause people to throw away true healthy psychological activities and mental health and replace them with whatever unhealthy priority is put in place by the leader. Fourth is referring everything back to themselves as God. Through their own poor mental health, disassociation from society, and disassociation from governmental structure. In both cases of these cults, there is a high amount of vulgar words or swearing present, which in turn can add on to the forcefulness of the speaker as he holds conversation with his or her followers. It, of course, is intriguing to notice that these studies of sci-fi aspects were actually mentioned last in most cases, following the sermon discussions of cult beliefs, lessons, and the people as a different people group idea, and also following psychological concepts. Now this, of course, sets the stage for the science fiction aspect, and it, it makes it seem more believable, even though it's the most unbelievable aspect, and it reinforces devotion instead of a cult leader simply beginning with strange sci-fi monologuing, which would end up coming off as baseless and ridiculous to basically literally everyone. Now, strangely, not only did both cult leaders swear a ton of times throughout their sermons, but Jones, even in his deprived mental state, nearly copied the amount of times great preachers either swore or used certain language in their sermons in order to convince their followers to be loyal to them. Now, I haven't served in our armed forces, but it is well known by both people who have served and have not served that the military does have a ton of high-ranking officials who use provocative language as a means to help people with devotion and the challenges that they have to overcome ahead while screaming at their faces. This is what both Applewhite and Jones Incorporated, 
Jones swore using the word hell a, a total of 94 times, which basically is identical to the amount of times Billy Graham brought up the subject in his sermons. In the instance of politics, Jones also referred to the Soviets 120 times, as opposed to the six times that Graham might have brought up the subject in his time. Another word used, of course, is the use of damn in his sermons. Since damnation is often brought up because of the Bible's take on being damned to hell, Jones thoroughly mentions damned or damnation an average amount of 26 times, as opposed to the near 37 times that Graham uses it in his sermons. In the case of Marshall, we should notice the amount of Bible-based material completely missing. However, remembering that Marshall would wait till the conclusion to bring up sci-fi action themes. The statements, at least to those impaired with depression and anxiety, would make the people far more vulnerable. When seeing Graham's sermons, we find the use of kingdom used 784 times and father used 490 times. Most of the time, while Marshall applied the terms only about one to four times per sermon, causing the listeners to have a detachment from relationship and from God and reality, and from family. Later on, Marshall would apply the word usage of member 23 times before following up with the spacecraft discussions an overwhelming amount of up to 200 times per sermon. This then causes them to disassociate life from a normal perspective and brainwashes the listeners into believing the strangest aspects of his sermon were far, far more believable than any actual biblical statement that was ever stated by an actual pastor or minister. Now lastly, there are two extracts that I want to bring up from both sermons of both quote-unquote teachers. For the listeners who are trained in biblical theology and those that aren't, I encourage you to read the actual Bible and cross-reference the preaching styles in order to see the error of Jim Jones and Marshall Applewhite. First is an extract from Jones, and the second is an extract from Marshall. And mind you, these are strange and somewhat hard to hear. Firstly, firstly from Jones. Some have stolen children from others, and they are in pursuit now to kill them because they stole their children. I don't think it is what we want to do with our babies. It is said by the greatest of prophets from time and morale, no one may take my life from me. I lay my life down. You can't steal people's children. You can't take off with people's children without expecting a violent reaction. The world suffers violence, and the violence shall take it by force. If we can't live in peace, then let's die in peace. We have been so terribly betrayed. Now, do it now. Don't be afraid to die. You see, there will be a few people land out here that they will torture, and they will torture us. They will torture some of our people. They'll torture some of our seniors. They used to think this world was our home, but our world is not our home. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. Now keeping in mind those words are not only human words, but they are in fact complete devastations and twists of the scripture from the worlds of complete evil. If you notice, there are some 
some instances of biblical structure in his language, but they're completely dehumanized and destructured. Now, secondly, from Marshall, if you studied the meaning of Hebrew, you learned that earth doesn't just mean planet earth. It means everything out of the part of the heavens that belongs to God. All other physical parts of terra firma, whether it's planet earth or other planets or other parts of the heavens, in other words, there can be what humans call space aliens that certainly aren't our father that certainly aren't in our father's house. In the last few years they are not the way of our father's kingdom. They are the way of this misinformation people who do not believe that they are misinformed. They are not knowingly misinformation. They brought they bought into another idea and to another information. Remember we discussed the other day that you can't lose the option of rejecting your connection, the option of rejecting the truth, that option always stays with you, even in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you know from this aspect of Applewhite, it's very terrifying to actually see the connections here, because Applewhite is actually attempting to talk like Jesus, even though he probably hadn't read a word of the scripture himself. Of course, there is a, there is a, you know, there is a historical uh, property where he might have, but if he did, he just simply copied Jesus's preaching style and then threw a bunch of gobbledygook in there to completely confuse everyone. Now, it should be extremely, extremely terrifying to look at this when you realize that a lot of the language that he uses, such as my father's house or our father's house or people of misinformation, is quite similar to when Jesus is talking about his father's house and Jesus is talking in other Pauline texts actually bring this up too, where Paul is discussing with people that he doesn't want people to be misinformed. And this, of course, is probably something that Applewhite actually looked into before completely, completely and overwhelmingly just detaching everything from the Bible and completely throwing it out of bounds with any form of logical understanding. Now, another unfortunate thing to notice here, and how you can really figure out that this is actually a cultist, is by what Applewhite is saying when he says terra firma. So terra is actually a form of magic that people do. I haven't read much into it because I don't really enjoy reading into that type of specific aspects of things, but that's actually what that is. And he simply relates it to sci-fi action. So in the end, two aspects must be realized. With separation from biblical structure comes separation from God, and with separation from a real human society, thriving and organized, comes the ability of disillusionment to set in. Whenever you are listening to a sermon, you must be extremely careful to acknowledge the speaking style and the referencing in order to determine the main process and end goal. Now, on a more less intense note, let's encounter our Reddits of the day. Alrighty, it says, 
I'm dumping my boyfriend over almost nothing, and I don't feel bad about that. He told me last week that he plans to hang out with a friend. I didn't really think about it. I guess I assumed it was a male friend. That's that's a first. Don't don't women normally think it's a male friend? Anyways, no, no, they really don't. It says thirty minutes before he went over, we were texting, and he said he's just going to hang out at her place. So he didn't mention that it was a female friend until the night before. I hung out with guy friends from school all the time. I fully believe men and women can just be friends. Wait, what? But when I do, I feel like he was being weird and sneaky about the fact that it was a female friend, and that makes me suspicious. If he had said it was a female friend earlier, then I would have been fine with it. And then she goes on to say that she's gonna eat with someone else random that night. Okay. <sighs> so confusing. Okay. First of all, how do you say I believe men and women can be friends, and then say I feel like he's being sneaky, not telling me? She was a female friend. It's that that's literally the exact opposite of what, like, the whole entire point of what you're saying. You have trust that is distrust, and you're trusting while you're not trusting, and you trust him. It's basically what you're saying. You're doing exactly what you expect him not to do, and after doing it yourself, you expect him not to do it. This is literally what people do if they want to reenact a breakup scene from a famous indie film or something. Or, like, or when when they want to feel the same way as most people feel when they watch a Seth Rogen movie for some reason and expect it to be a good example of a healthy relationship. I honestly would not, I honestly myself would not see a female behind anyone's back if I, if I was dating someone, but... And, but you have to have the communication, but at the same time, you can't freak out. In this scenario, the, 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 woman's, the, the woman's a little bit of an a-hole here. Because you, can't, you cannot at all do the exact thing and then flip out when he does the exact thing. Now, I will give the woman the benefit, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here and say that, well, yes... A lot of times men can cheat when you give them that type of capability, but at the same time, women do it too. And, and, it's, and it's, near, it, it's near a medium average for both sexes. So probably just hang out together or just break up, honestly. Okay, another one. Another cheating circumstance. <laughs> it says, what is a dead giveaway that you are being cheated on? First one says, when she tells you she's having dinner with her brother while you're having dinner with her brother. <laughs> yeah, that's a strange order of events. <laughs> she find out by her brother? Like, did, did, did he find out by her, her brother telling him? <laughs> okay. When they become cagey about things that they're normally open about. Cagey? Is that actually is a word people seriously use? When they become cagey about things they're normally open about. I've known a couple that did this very op that did this very openly. They talked about everything their entire day. They'd answer near every question. Then suddenly they came out on a night 
or suddenly they'd be out on a night with their friends and the details of the night could be summed up in a couple words or their odd gaps in their or there would be odd gaps in their story while they remember and try to sort through it all. Yeah, so so that is kind of a big thing. I've actually dealt with that in my first relationship and it actually turns out that she was seeing someone who dealt her weed, so that was not yeah, that was not exactly preferable, but it did in fact happen. <laughs> Mainly with me, I've simply dated girls in the past that weren't organized enough, so it mostly f- fell apart that way. But yeah, I, I have had that commitment-wise issue where they haven't really said what they've done the whole entire time, so that, that is a pretty good word of advice. Next one, she's having migraines all the time, and John Redcorn, a spiritual healer, has not been able <laughs> to correct them with three to five weekly sessions over 12 years. <laughs> okay, th- there's no way, there's no way that's true. There's no way that's something that actually happened. Like, first of all, why would you not go to, like, you know, a therapy session or, like, a massage therapy session or, like, whatever type of, you know, therapy session it is? without your partner second of all just don't go to a spiritual healer at all like go to an actual pastor go to an actual minister don't go to a spiritual healer and third john redcorn is like literally the dumbest spiritual healer name like that has to be a joke (laughs) like there's no way that a quote-unquote spiritual healer has the same name that sounds like a johnny appleseed character Like, there's literally absolutely no way. Okay, when they accuse you of cheating, and that has nothing to do with the conversation at all. That is an actual one that I have seen in a lot of Degrassi scenes, but I have not actually experienced it. But I'm sure it it does probably happen. Okay, you're at a party, and the lead singer of a band starts singing a song about your girlfriend entitled, Scotty Doesn't Know. (laughs) Nice. Hit the reference with the Looster song there. Seems like a big frat house move. Okay, two more from Stories of Reddit. It says, My girlfriend cheated on me and I didn't fight. Most guys would have an argument about it and fight and unleash their anger, but I didn't. I simply told her that I found out she's cheating and she doesn't matter to me anymore. I cut off all connection without even hearing her out. Some of my friends call me a coward and weak for not getting angry, but that's how I am. I'm always calm and I only do what should be done without trauma or too much emotions. I can't lie, but what's the point of this last fight before we break up? I want her to remember me as someone she has lost, not run away from. So I guess my question is, am I really weak for not wanting to hurt her because I knew we were done anyway? Okay, so this is actually something that, you know, true men can do a lot to get the, you know, to have reality set in for your partner after they cheat on you. Like, just from another guy's perspective, no, you're not weak. You're not weak at all, and definitely it's better to do this, in my opinion, in order to allow any forms of controversy to just be pushed to the side. Like, in case of marriage with children, obviously this would be a, there'd be a lot more details that you'd have to talk over, and it would probably be a lot harder. But yes, this is a better way to do things. 
actually a very viral counselor uh, that I follow. She'd probably say the same thing and she'd probably argue this point. Uh, her name's Emily King, but this point that most people this point that most people would know what they want and they wouldn't tolerate this kind of behavior, especially if they're men. And this would most likely happen as a result of a guy being an introverted person. He's considering all the details, he's trusting the woman, he betrayed his she betrayed his trust, and you know, then as a result he solemnly and quietly dismisses her out of his life, never to welcome her back into his life again. And also men who do this are most likely not going to take you seriously very easily the next time around. So just 100% don't do this. Just just don't cheat. It should be very simple. Just 100%, 100% don't cheat. Okay, last one for today. What's the weirdest thing that you had to do at someone else's house because of their culture slash religion? It says, I worked for a retail car company an Orthodox Jewish community. A customer rushed in on Friday evening and asked to be driven home immediately because if we didn't make it to his house by sundown, he would have to get out of his car and walk the rest of the way to the Sabbath. He used an app, he used an app on his phone to tell him the exact time of sundown each day. I didn't have a driver available, so I just told him to go home and I would come by his house later and grab the car. A half hour later, I arrived at his house and the father is nowhere to be found and following and the following scenario ensues and it says my wife or it says the wife is gone the husband left the key or no 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 no. the wife is home my husband left the keys on our bedside table i'm not allowed to touch them can you come in and grab them please i awkwardly follow her to her bedroom grab them from her bedside table can i ask one more favor do you mind unplugging the house for me? Then following her to her basement and entering a room where there are literally 15 to 20 electrical cords coming through holes in the walls and the ceiling and through a tangled series of different outlet strips are all consolidated into one master plug going into a standard wall outlet. She points at it and asks me to unplug it. I do. She thanks me. I leave. I have a lot of wild experiences in the last five years working that job. This was definitely top five. Uh, okay, so I know you had to have more wild experiences than that. But yeah, so for Messianic Jews, they don't follow as closely. They, like, they reference the old law, but they aren't tied down to it. But Orthodox Jews, on the other hand, try to uphold as many of the old laws as they can. And during Shabbat or Sabbath, they're completely prohibited from driving a car. And in biblical times, they're not allowed to start fires, participate in labor, buy or sell products, do any form of work whatsoever. And of course, in the sense of electricity of today, it applies to that same fire attribute and not doing chores. Honestly, on the factor of being extremely weird, so to speak, it really isn't. Because people in our communities and our world today have completely forgotten what it means to be complete, completely committed to religious beliefs. And the only religious commitment people normally have today is being non-religious, whatever that's supposed to mean. And, you know, despite the obvious fact that philosophy, ethics, religion, and society are all connected, and that statement doesn't really make much sense at all by that factor. And by the way, I've seen stories about people working for Uber 
and stuff like that. So there's no way that was your weirdest story. That is, unless you yourself don't use electricity, then then I guess it might be pretty weird. And we're out of time for this episode. Thank you to official Reddit's stories of Reddit and the language professors mentioned before. Thanks for listening. This has been Jay's exclusive podcast. Stay tuned for an amazing interview with Tarek Fryer later on this next coming week. Take care and stay safe.